science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. And iodine and thorium and thorium Well, welcome and aboard. Interesting question I'm going to throw out at you today. The Hindenburg, the famous uh, airship, the Zeppelin, uh, exploded in 1937, trying to land Lakers, New Jersey. I'm sure most of you have seen the pictures. You've seen uh, film of the e- event. Here's the question. Why was it that luxurious meals were served on the Hindenburg during the Atlantic Ocean uh, crossing, but garlic as a spice was not allowed in any of the meals. So why was garlic not served on the Hindenburg? If you know the answer, you can text us at 514 uh, or 514-790-0800 is the phone call, the phone number. All right, so um, if you don't have an answer to that, you can still call us, of course, with any other question that you might have. Uh, as long as it is in the scientific realm. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, I'm Joe Schwartz. My background is in chemistry. I think chemistry is the science that links all the other sciences together. I think if you have a good feel for what molecules are and what they can and cannot do, you have a pretty good feel for what can and cannot happen in the world. And when I'm not chatting with you here on Sunday afternoons, I direct McGill University's Office for Science and Society with a mandate of demystifying science for the public. And uh, our logo, Anthem, is to separate sense from nonsense. And as you know, these days, that's not an easy task because there's so much nonsense out there. Uh, A very unfortunate story uh, comes from the U.S., about uh, a gentleman uh, unfortunately meeting his end in rather unfortunate set of circumstances. Here is what happened. It was in a restaurant, uh, a chicken wing restaurant in in the U.S., and one of the employees happened to spill a chemical on the floor. This was a chemical that was used to clean the scale from uh, kettles. Uh, This happens when uh, there's what we call hard water, Hard water uh, contains dissolved minerals, uh, calcium bicarbonate, magnesium bicarbonate. And when this water is heated, the calcium bicarbonate changes into calcium carbonate, releasing carbon dioxide gas. And the calcium carbonate is a solid, and this is what deposits in the kettle. Uh, This is a significant problem, not only in kettles, but generally in water pipes, especially in industry, where you get the coating of this scale on on pipes and on equipment. It's also a huge problem, of course, in in boilers. And uh, there is a way to solve this problem, and that is by dissolving the calcium carbonate or the magnesium carbonate. These chemicals are soluble in acids, and these uh, kettle cleaners and scale removers are made of uh, various kinds of acids, usually phosphoric acid, hydrochloric acid, or nitric acid. And that's what the employees spilled on the floor, and uh, for some reason never cleaned it up or certainly did not clean it up uh, totally. And uh, a subsequent employee, unaware of this spill, uh, went to mop up the floor and used a different cleaning agent, which was based on bleach. And he spilled this on the floor, hoping to mop everything up. And as soon as he spilled it on the floor, there was some uh, bubbling. And bubbles, uh, greenish bubbles 
formed. And the bubbles burst, releasing fumes into the air, and he got scared. He ran out of there, as did uh, most of the customers in the store when they started to smell this gas. But the manager of the store uh, decided that he was going to clean this up. So he tried with, with a mop, but he was overcome with the fumes. Uh, ambulance was called, transported to the hospital, and unfortunately, he didn't make it. What was the gas that was emitted? Of course, it was chlorine, chlorine. Because any time that you have bleach, which is uh, sodium hypochlorite, or sometimes calcium hypochlorite, when that is mixed with any kind of an acid, you generate chlorine. And chlorine, of course, is a highly toxic gas. It was used in the First World War as a weapon. And uh, thousands of people were killed with chlorine gas. So one must be very, very careful. This was a very, very unfortunate um, accident. And uh, this uh, brings up the whole topic of mixing various chemicals, which is, of course, a very serious topic. Uh, chemistry has always been associated with mixing things together. Uh, actually, that's how the science got its start. Our ancestors mixed starch with yeast and got alcohol. They mixed animal fat with wood ashes, and they made soap. They mixed sulfur, charcoal, and saltpeter, and came up with gunpowder. These were useful commodities and whetted people's appetites for mixing substances with the hope of producing other handy materials. The results weren't always satisfactory. Egyptian attempts at curing blindness by pouring a mixture of pig eyes and timony, rust, and honey into the sufferer's ear did not work. No big surprise there. Neither was Hippocrates able to cure baldness with a mixture of opium, horseradish, and pigeon dung. Modern chemical knowledge has taught us how to mix silver, tin, and mercury to fill cavities in our teeth how to mix baking powder with flour to make cookies, and how to combine ethylene glycol with terephthalic acid to make polyester. We can even mix nucleotides together to make DNA. But you should also know there are some substances that should never be combined. A couple of years ago, lady complained to a neighbor about an infestation of mice in her house. The well-meaning friend had a suggestion. Mix some toilet bowl cleaner with bleach in a container and leave the concoction in the house overnight. Guaranteed to get rid of the mice. But she neglected to say that it could get rid of the human inhabitants as well. Permanently. Chemically speaking, bleach is a solution of sodium or calcium hypochlorite, as I mentioned earlier. When mixed with any acid, it releases highly toxic chlorine gas. Most toilet bowl cleaners contain sodium hydrogen sulfate, and that's an acidic substance which will quickly liberate chlorine from bleach. The acrid fumes of chlorine can then destroy lung tissue, cause the lungs to fill with water, and in a sense cause death by drowning. The gas was, of course, used for this purpose in World War I, as I earlier told you. Our mouse-fearing lady almost suffered the same fate as did the French troops at Ypres at the hands of the Germans. Luckily, her neighbor looked in to see how the experiment was going and saved her just as she was about to pass out. Not every victim of this mixture turns out to be so lucky, as was the case in our unfortunate episode in the restaurant. Many who have poured bleach into a toilet bowl following an unsexual attempt to remove stains with a commercial cleaner have suffered permanent lung damage. Some have died. 
you must never mix any acid with chlorine bleach. That includes acidic drain cleaners, rust removers, and even vinegar. Drain cleaners can cause all kinds of problems. The most common ones are based on sodium hydroxide. That's commonly known as lye. These may be sold as solutions or as solid pellets. But products which contain concentrated sulfuric acid are also available as drain cleaners. Individually, either variety of drain cleaner may prove effective, but the two must never be mixed. Combining these chemicals produces a tremendous amount of heat. There have been reports of people who try to unclog their drains with one type of cleaner, failing to do so, followed with a chaser of the other variety. The heat produced generated steam, which blew the whole corrosive mixture in the face of the unfortunate victim. Mixing bleach with ammonia, an ingredient in many window cleaners, can also pose a hazard. Irritating chloramine vapors are released. These are not quite as dangerous as chlorine, but are most unpleasant. In fact, the smell people associate with chlorine in swimming pools is not actually chlorine, but rather chloramines. And you know how they're formed? Reaction of chlorine mixing with urea. And where does that urea come from? Well, I'm sure you can make a very intelligent guess. Uh, it's not appetizing to discuss why the water in swimming pools contains urea. Uh, so the mixing of chemicals can be a, a very significant uh, problem, but really the, the takeaway message uh, from this little discussion is that bleach, that is calcium or sodium hypochloride, that's the stuff that you use in your uh, washing machine, that must never be mixed with any kind of acid because it will immediately release chlorine gas, and chlorine gas is extremely toxic. Lesson learned, unfortunately, by people uh, not in a way uh, that they would want to learn it. Okay, we're going to take a break here. Check for traffic. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. We'll be right back. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Yesterday I was supposed to have a book signing opportunity at uh, this pop-up book fair at uh, the McConnell Building, Concordia. Supposed to be there between 3 and 5, so I go there at 3, ready to sign books. Turned out they didn't have any books for me to sign because uh, they had sold out by the time that I got there. I don't think they had too many to sell out. But uh, anyway, that's what happened. So I was there chatting with people after, and they wanted to know uh, about my new book, which is called A Grain of Salt. And I guess you understand the connotation. Uh, So much information today that coming at us that most of it should be taken with a grain of salt. Uh, This book focuses on food, and the subtitle is The Science and Pseudoscience of What We Eat. So anyway, uh, people were asking me how to get it. It should be available in in, uh, other bookstores if they're not sold out. But you can always send me an email. That's joe.schwartz, J-O-E dot S-C-H-W-A-R-C-Z at McGill, M-C-G-I-L-L dot C-A, and uh, I have books. Uh, they're available. I can uh, send out to you. And uh, obviously, I'd be happy to uh, sign them. 
Anyway, uh, just one further bit to this. Uh, I got an email last week from my publisher uh, saying that the book made it onto the bestseller list uh, the very first week that it was uh, out there. So I was very happy about that. And I take a look at that bestseller list. I was number nine on, on the list, which is, I, I guess, not bad for you know the book having uh, just come out. But I look uh, further up the list, and uh, what do I see at uh, number four? The book by the medical medium. Uh, this is Anthony William. I've talked about him before. This is the guy who has zero scientific background and yet gives all kinds of scientific advice, including consuming celery juice for whatever ails you. And how does he get his information? He gets it by contacting a spirit. It seems he has a straight conduit to a spirit. And this spirit somehow has medical expertise. And uh, this character has a phone-in show in uh, Florida, and people phone in for medical advice. And uh, he says that uh, he gets the advice that he gives from the spirit. At the very least, to me, this seems like practicing medicine without a license. Uh, but uh, I guess sort of the disclaimer is that the advice isn't coming from him. It's actually coming from the spirit. So if anyone has any issue with that, they should take it up with the spirit. Unbelievable. Uh, this is why you have to take things with a grain of salt. But uh, this guy has written a book, which is on the New York Times bestseller list. I've never made it there. Uh, but even on the Canadian bestseller list, he is above me. That's kind of a sobering bit of news. Anyway, still nice to be on a, a bestseller list. All right. Uh, the question that I had asked was about why food with garlic was not allowed to be served on the Hindenburg. Uh, so let me go to Julia. Hi, Julia. Hi. What do you think? Um, I think it's because garlic releases gases that are flammable. No, it doesn't. No. Okay. All right. Reasonable guess, though. Garlic does release gases, but uh, no, they're not uh, not flammable. All right. Let me see if Jordan has a different idea. Hi, Jordan. Hi. Uh, so I think it's because uh, the uh, hydrogen cells were giving a, given a faint garlic smell so that the crew would be able to detect a leak. So if there was food with garlic, then they wouldn't be able to detect the leak. Bingo. How do you know this? History Channel. Ah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you just watch enough stuff every day. You learn enough. <laughs> it pays to watch History Channel, eh? Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, one of the most underrated channels on TV. What was that? Was that a program on the Hindenburg? Uh, I think so. I usually put it on to help me sleep a bit because for me, getting information about big crashes helps me sleep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We won't explore that one any further. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you're quite right. Uh, the Hindenburg, of course, was held aloft by uh, a huge amount of hydrogen. And the reason for hydrogen, which is, of course, is a terribly flammable gas, the reason that the Germans were using that uh, instead of helium, helium, was, of course, was all already known at the time, and it's not flammable, was because the U.S. had an embargo on the export of helium. So the Germans couldn't get their hands on the helium, so they built the airship with, with hydrogen. And hydrogen is extremely, extremely flammable. And... Uh, 
they added a small amount of uh, garlic scent to the hydrogen so that if any of the garlic leaked out from the cylinders in which it was uh, kept inside of the, the giant compartment, uh, the queue, the the uh, uh, people inside the crew would have an idea that there was a leak. And, um, uh, of course, the Hindenburg had an unfortunate end coming in for landing in Lakehurst, New Jersey. Not exactly clear what happened, but the uh, uh, theory is that there was a buildup of static electricity and uh, there had been a leak, and uh, I guess they didn't detect it, and there was a spark. It uh, uh, caused a huge fire, and within a few seconds, the airship was destroyed and a number of people uh, died. But that is the reason that garlic was not allowed to be served on the Hindenburg. Uh, of course, there were many other great foods that were served because uh, it was very expensive to be a passenger uh, on the Hindenburg to cross the Atlantic, and it was a first-class operation. Uh, so they had really exquisite meals served, but uh, those exquisite meals did not contain any uh, any garlic. There are many theories, of course, about the explosion of the Hindenburg, and there was a, a very, very good movie about it as well uh, several years ago. And uh, that that film kind of implied that there was um, something nefarious about that explosion, that, you know, it, it uh, was some sort, sort of uh, uh, voluntary terrorist activity. But uh, historically, there's no real evidence uh, for that uh, at all. And to this day, uh, there's questions, many questions about the explosion of the Hindenburg. But in its time, uh, that was quite an airship. Uh, it was, you know, the fastest way, obviously, to cross the ocean at that time, uh, doing it in just a, a couple of days, which was much faster than the uh, ocean liners could uh, could do it. And uh, today, there's uh, uh, more interest in, in building some of these airships. Obviously, they are going to be held aloft uh, not by hydrogen, but by helium, and uh, they could be powered by uh, very efficient uh, engines. And, of course, we have prototypes of this. Well, more than prototypes, we have uh, the ones that you see you know, uh, at football games and other sporting events, uh, like the Goodyear blimp. Uh, that, of course, is uh, filled with helium. But it is possible that we will once again see um, passengers taking uh, uh, these gigantic uh, airships because, uh, obviously, they use a lot less fuel than airplanes do. All right. We're going to take a break here. We'll listen to the news, listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We will be right back. Life's Everyday Mystery Solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Let me hit the lines. Bryna. Yeah. I have a Noma ion exchange filter small humidifier. Okay. And it says weekly maintenance add uh, undiluted vinegar 200 milliliters to the tank and let it sit for 20 minutes. But monthly uh, cleaning says uh, fill it half full with um, water, then add chlorine bleach. Right. I guess I don't do both at the same time. You don't do both at the same time. Right. Exactly. Okay. That's what my question was. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, let's go to Sally. Sally. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. 
Hello? Yes, go ahead. I wanted to ask you, please, you know something, if it's good, electron, anti-rust electronic de- devices. It's a gadget, they put it in the car uh, to, uh, to protect for anti-rust. Yes, in theory, yes, it works. These, these are uh, uh, devices that... Uh, basically corrode instead of the car body corroding. It's, it's called galvanic protection. Uh-huh. So in theory, it does work. However, these days in practice, that's a different story because the cars today are so well done and the paint job is so good that rusting is, is very, very unlikely. They said under, under the car, it's protecting. Yeah, I mean, in theory, it makes sense. But uh-huh. uh, most most uh, experts tell you that it's not worth doing it. It's not going. No, don't go because it's very expensive, and the dealer push it to, to yes. buy it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's the the car, the rust protection that the manufacturer puts on the car is enough. So you think it's good also to take uh, to make the spray every year? Uh, again, that's something that does work, but uh, the manufacturers don't recommend it because they they have already applied sufficient protection. I called three person in Toyota, and everybody said different thing. One said it's not spray, other said it's uh, it, it is. I don't know what to think. So because it's a guy who doing that, um, Barry who doing that, and he said it's very good and good for life of the car. Well, of course, because they want to sell it to you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you don't recommend even this. Well, I don't do it. I don't do it. You're so, not. Yeah. So because I have a Toyota Yaris. 2018, and I want to protect it, so you don't have no uh, uh, recommend nothing for that. I don't. I don't do it, and and I just got a new Prius Prima. I just got it this week. Congratulations. Yes, and I'm not. I'm not doing that. I I trust the manufacturer's rust protection. That's Prius a Toyota. Yeah, it's a Toyota. Prima. Yeah. Okay. So you don't recommend. I don't. All I can tell you is I don't do it. Based on my readings of it, it's not necessary. So you're the best. You're the All right. Thank you very much. Okay. I had a question uh, texted in. Does vinegar stop an egg from cracking while boiling? No, it doesn't. But what it does do is it coagulates the albumin, the white of the egg, as it starts coming through the crack. And that plugs up the crack. But it does not stop it from cracking. The, the cracking generally happens if you take a cold egg and you put it directly into hot water. If you put the egg into cold water and then heat up the water, you are not likely to crack the egg. But the reason to put a little bit of uh, vinegar into the water is that in case it does crack, you don't get those the streaming of the white coming out of the uh, egg. Okay, another question I have. What's the difference between chlorine that was produced in that restaurant accident and the chlorine used in pools? There is no difference. It is the same chlorine. Uh, However, of course, concentrations matter. In the case of the restaurant, it was instantaneous release of a large amount of chlorine from the the concentrated bleach and the concentrated acid uh, solution. Uh, when you are using it in a swimming pool, the uh, amount of chlorine that is put into the water is much, much less. And as I said, uh, the smell that you are sniffing uh, is not really the smell of chlorine. It's uh, the smell of chloramines. And that's the chlorine reacting with urine in the pool. 
and uh, of course people are advised not to to pee into the pool but uh, uh, that's futile people will do it so uh, yeah it's the same chlorine but obviously not the same uh, concentration but swimming pools do present another opportunity for a problem uh, based on inappropriate mixing of chemicals I, I'll tell you about that uh, uh, because there are two commonly available chlorinating agents for uh, treating the water in a pool. And both of these are usually sold as dry crystalline substances. In water, both of them release hypochlorous acid, which is the actual disinfecting agent. And that is also the, the chemical that is produced when you dissolve chlorine gas in the water. Anyway, calcium hypochlorite is used for short-term protection. And the other dry chemical, trichloroisocyanuronate, also known as stabilized chlorine, releases chlorine over a longer period. Uh, and these chemicals must be added to the pool water individually. If the dry crystals are mixed in a bucket and water is added, an exothermic reaction that releases chlorine gas begins immediately. There's even the possibility of an explosion. The reaction can be so serious that these two substances should not even be stored near each other. Actually, dry calcium hypochlorite should not be mixed with any combustible substance because it is a strong oxidizing agent. That's just a technical way of saying that it helps substances burn. Just ask the scoutmaster who decided to teach his Cub Scouts about proper outhouse techniques. It's quite common to have a bucket of lime or calcium oxide in an outhouse. Periodically, a scoop of the stuff is dumped into the hole for smell control and disinfection purposes. As luck would have it, when the scoutmaster wanted to demonstrate this procedure, he discovered the bucket was empty. He searched around for the main stock of lime and discovered a bag labeled calcium hypochlorite in the hut where swimming pool supplies were kept. He remembered that lime was calcium something or other, so he filled the bucket with the stuff. He then dumped some of the powder down the outhouse hole and started to walk away. The whole campground was shaken by a reverberating explosion. Sewage produces copious amounts of methane gas, which is highly combustible. When the oxidizing calcium hypochlorite was dumped into the hole, the methane exploded. Hopefully both the scoutmaster and his cubs learned a valuable lesson about the importance of knowing some basic chemistry. Calcium oxide and calcium hypochlorite are quite different substances. When in doubt, do not mix chemicals. Perhaps Rudyard Kipling put it best about a hundred years ago when he said, There are those whose study is of smells and to attentive schools rehearse how something mixed with something else makes something worse. When you're in doubt, do not mix. And again, remember the lesson of the day, especially never mix any kind of acid with uh, calcium hypochlorite or sodium hypochlorite bleach. All right, we're going to take another break. You're listening to Dr. Joe Show. We will check traffic and be right back. Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. For our listeners in Montreal, uh, tomorrow at 2 o'clock, I'll be at the Eleanor London Public Library in Cote St. Luke for my monthly discussion. And today, we're, tomorrow, we're going to talk about the science of eating meat. So the subject is meat. So anyone in the Montreal area, of course, is invited. It's free, open to the public, 2 o'clock 
Eleanor Lunda Public Library just across the street from the Cavendish Mall. And for those of you listening in Europe and uh, in New Zealand and Australia, and I'm sure we have many down there, I know, because you text me, uh, maybe it's a bit too far to come for one lecture. All right, let's go to George. Hey, George. Hi, good afternoon, Dr. Joe. It's uh, almost comical that you uh, discussed the mixing of uh, pool chemicals just before the break there because I was calling in with precisely that experience. That happened to me uh, quite a number of years ago where at the start of the pool season, I didn't have quite enough uh, shock treatment, the the concentrated uh, granules. And so... Being the smart person I thought I was being, I added uh, into a bucket not just the shock treatment that I did have, but I added a number of scoops of the regular chlorine, and I happened to be doing that on a sink, and um, the faucet was dripping just a couple of drips at a time, so I think that may have been what triggered it. I'm not quite sure. Maybe you can clarify that. Well, sure. You, uh, You mix the two dry chemicals in the bucket, right? Right, right. Okay, and then you got it, and you got it wet. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it started hissing and right. putting out this uh, this fume, and I did get a very loud explosion, including a big flame, and it was followed by a number of other smaller explosions. Uh, sounded almost like a machine gun, and then of course the permeating uh, odor and, and and the the chemical that was drifting in there. So, long story short, I had to call the fire department, and they came and. Uh, ventilated the house and, and whatnot, but uh, certainly not something to, to do, not very smart. You learned a lesson. I did. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I, I hope that other people will remember this because I'm sure you're not alone at having done that. Uh, sometimes, you know, kids will do this on purpose because they've heard the story of, of uh, you know, mixing these and they'll put the chemicals into a, a bottle and then add a little bit of water and wait for the explosion. And obviously that can have devastating consequences. So, yeah, well, it's a good thing, I think, that we discussed this, alerting people to the possibilities. Okay, well, thanks for giving us that uh, personal anecdote, and uh, hopefully we'll save some people from doing the same thing. Thanks very much. Okay, let's go to Mark. Hey, Mark. How are you, Dr. Joe? Okay. One of my friends is a police officer, okay, and they have these uh, new nightsticks that are like like antennas. You know, they pull it out their belt and they swing it forward, and it all like it's like an antenna. It comes out. It's used to hit or whatever. What kind of metal is that made of? Because that stuff doesn't bend. Uh, I, I I haven't seen one of these, and hopefully don't ever want to see one close up. All over the place. I mean, uh, it's the new nightstick. Let's put it that way. It's no longer a stick. Uh, it's a, it's like a metal, uh, it's like a rubber handle, long rubber handle. They take it off, and then they just like, like as if you're going to throw a baseball, and it comes swinging up, like the whole thing, like it's like, it just comes up, tick, 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 and you. Oh, you mean like, like, uh, like a telescope? Yeah, it's a telescopic, yeah, there you go. And I don't know what kind of metal that is, but they get smashed windows with that, break your arm or whatever, I mean. Is, is that tempered steel or? Well, I, I, there would be no reason to to have to look any further than steel. I mean, uh, steel will do that. I, I know. I'd have to take a look at it. Uh, yeah. But I'll, I'll ask a policeman. I, I, I <laughs> do encounter them, not for any bad reason. I do, uh, and uh, so yeah, I'll look into that. And uh, I bet you don't want to be on the receiving end of that, whatever metal it's made of, right? Well, thanks a lot, Doctor Joe. Okay, take thanks. care. Have a nice day. Thank you very much. 
Okay, I, I've had uh, uh, several comments about the garlic story and the Hindenburg, uh, some curious answers. Uh, uh, they wanted to make sure that there were no vampires traveling on the Hindenburg. Uh, garlic supposedly wards them off. And you know what? Uh, that probably worked. Uh, I have not heard any, any stories of uh, vampires having been discovered uh, on the Hindenburg. Uh, uh, there were others who who uh, suggested that the garlic was because uh, it could somehow create uh, you know a flammable gas. No, that uh, that's not that's not it. It was in order to uh, make sure that if there was a leak, you could uh, detect that. I also had a question here about do you know something about natural product carbon C? I'm not sure exactly what uh, they are referring to. Uh, I know a product called. C60, C60, which is uh, sort of a, a takeoff on uh, Buckminster Fullerene, which is a very interesting chemical. It's made of 60 carbons, C60. It looks like a, a soccer ball. And it's a, a, a very interesting substance. There's a lot of research behind uh, that particular molecule. Uh, Nobel Prize was even given for it. And uh, the, the quacks have indeed stepped in, in there, and they have hijacked the science and come up with something called C60, water for life. Uh, supposedly, you just drink a few spoonfuls of this wonder water every day, and it increases energy levels, reduces risk of cancer, it fights stress, depression, chronic fatigue, protects the liver, provides effective protection against radiation, colds, flu, heals, burns, ulcers, provides long-term antihistamine and anti-inflammatory effects, prevents buildup of deposits in the arteries, and even inhibits menopause. Those are the claims for this C60 uh, water. As I've said before, the more claims that are made on behalf of a substance, the less clear is that any of them are, are, are true. Now, C60, the molecule that I told you about, the Buckminster fullerene, does have some interesting properties. It does have some free radical scavenging abilities, uh, which can, under certain uh, conditions, be very, very useful, and there's active research into that. But uh, this product that they are selling, the C60 Water for Life, uh, doesn't have any evidence uh, behind it whatsoever. Uh, they also claim that it reduces the side effects of chemotherapy, shortens the duration of treatments needed for multiple sclerosis, it combats Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. Uh, what more can one ask for? Well, what about asking for a little evidence? And uh, the inventive people who have produced uh, the brochure hyping that miracle product tell us that the curative properties have been confirmed by the Ministry of Health of Ukraine, although no documentation is provided for, uh, for that claim. So what is in the C60 water? Water, and a vanishing small amount, two parts per billion of Buckminster fullerene, uh, around which the makers of C60 Water for Life weave their tangled web of deceit. So there's another story uh, for you that uh, connects to Ukraine. And uh, obviously, we hear a lot of stuff about uh, Ukraine in the news these days. Uh, but uh, uh, C60 water uh, has not been mentioned in that connection before. And uh, I don't know about the Ministry of Health of Ukraine, just how reliable those researchers are. But I can tell you that the C60 water for life is uh, uh, not a reputable product. Okay, we are once again out of time. But 
You can always text me, joe.schwartz at mcgill.ca. Remember, if you are interested in a book, you text me and we can get one to you. Tomorrow, 2 o'clock, I'll be talking about meat in the Eleanor London Public Library. And, of course, we'll be back with you same time, same station next week. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.